Our first presenter is Brent Tate. Brent comes from Roma in Queensland uh, and Brent debuted for Brisbane Broncos in 2001. Debuted for Queensland in 2002 and debuted for Australia in 2002. Brent played 229 NRL games for Brisbane Broncos, New Zealand Warriors and North Queensland Cowboys and is a 2006 NRL Premiership winner with the Brisbane Broncos. Brent played 23 games for Queensland and we won the series over the hated New South Wales in 2006, 7, 8, 12 and 13. Uh, Brent played 26 games for Australia and won the 2013 World Cup as well as a, a, a number of other tournaments. So playing career, first rate, uh, uh, numerous games uh, and playing for uh, many different coaches and uh, staffs I'd imagine and uh, some of the questions might be about your interactions with that. Um, Brent recovered from a career-threatening neck injury and, uh, and went on to play further games. And I'd like to see some questions about that. We look forward to uh, our Q&A session with you. Great, thank you. Um, thank you guys for having me here. I think it's a um, wonderful opportunity for you guys, I guess, to continue to, I guess, improve and, and better yourselves. Um, I guess just to kick off and, and to that point, um, I was really lucky enough to play with some of the greatest players our game's ever seen. Guys like Darren Lockyer, you know, Cam Smith, Billy Slater, Thurston Inglis. Um, and, you know, even guys that played later into their careers like Steve Price, Ruben Wickey. And one of the things that always, the very best of players, I think, um, that have achieved everything in their game and had long careers, I always used to wonder why they kept coming back and wanting to be, you know, kept you know, performing at that level. And there's two things that really stuck out about the absolute champion players is one, their competitiveness. There's, those guys competed harder than anyone. And, and two, um, is their ability to always be better. You know, you know Steve Price, Ruben Wickey, you know, those guys had played 300 plus games, had 20 year careers. And I used to watch them at training and, you know, doing video and, and the way they conducted themselves. And it was always about each day trying to improve themselves, even when they you know, were at the absolute peak of their game. And um, they're two real things that uh, really stood out um, you know, about the, the great, great players. Uh, not sure if not many guys might know me, but I, I played NRL for 14 years um, over three different clubs um, and had a, a wonderful career. Um, but was a really stop-start affair. I had a, a lot of um, injuries throughout my career. I had a career-threatening um, uh, injury with my neck, which happened on really early on in my career. And I basically had four knee reconstructions, shoulder reconstruction. I had around 20 operations throughout my career. So it was a really, really stop-start affair. Um, I'll talk a little bit about um, coming back from my injuries. And because I had so many, I think um, that the main one um, and the biggest challenge I faced was um, in 2010. I'd finished at the Warriors. I'd had two previous knee reconstructions before that. Um, my career was really, it was a, because it was such a stop-start affair, sometimes I, I, it was a real battle to get myself up and get yourself playing. And 
at the back end of 2010, I'd signed from the Warriors to come to the Cowboys. They were last on the ladder. I was really keen to come back to the Cowboys, be a part of the change, be, you know, help their culture and try and get the Cowboys back to the top. Um, I'd just gotten back into the Australian team, so it was the end of 2010. I was meant to come to the Cowboys in 2011. I was playing a game at Suncorp Stadium, injured my knee for the third time, had to have a knee reconstruction. I was completely shattered. Um, I wanted to give the game away. I wanted to give up um, because I just, I just had enough. But I wasn't game enough to make the decision myself. I wanted someone to take that away from me. And I'll never, ever forget. Um, I remember thinking to myself, right, uh, I'm coming to the Cowboys. I'm going to give Peter Parr, who was a football manager at the Cowboys at the time, and Neil Henry, who was a coach. And I thought, right, my excuse will be if I ring Peter Parr, or Neil Henry and I sense one bit of doubt in their voice about me coming to the Cowboys and not being able to help change a culture or help be a part of, you know, making the Cowboys great again. Well, I'm just going to quit. That's going to be my out because I'm not going to play for someone who doesn't believe in me. So remember, I picked up the phone to Peter Parr. I said, g'day, mate. Just been injured. I'm shattered. He goes, mate, can't wait to still have you here. We think, you know, even though you're injured, you can still, you know, help change a culture by the way you, you know, your rehab and your work ethic around that. Um, and I was like, hung up the phone, I was like, fucking hell, damn it. So I thought, oh, well, I've still got to get out. I'll ring Neil Henry, the coach. I rang Neil Henry. He was exactly the same. Can't wait for you to get here. It doesn't matter. We still think you can be the player you want to be. So after a couple of days of having that real disappointment around having have to go through another 12 months of rehab with my knee, I remember thinking, well, there's no more excuses. Um, I'm going to have to rehab my knee anyway, so I might as well do it and come back and play. I wanted to have absolutely no regrets. So after a couple of days of that real disappointment and just on that disappointment stuff as well, I, I never ever shied away from being disappointed and feeling sad and feeling shit. I've never ever tried to push those feelings away. I've always accepted that. Always thought that's always a really important part of the healing process for me anyway. So after a couple of, it was literally a couple of weeks of being really sad, really down the dumps about, you know, having 12 months of rehab, moving to the Cowboys, all that disappointment, getting back into the Australian team. It was all gone again. I had to start basically from the start. I remember, um, you know, looking in the mirror and thinking, mate, it, this is a real test of your character. Like, it, this is going this is, this will test you like no other. So I remember the first step, and I remember talking to Wayne Bennett as well, who's a great rugby league coach. Um, and I remember talking to him about, I just, for, for some reason, I couldn't get my head around the 12 months of rehab. I just, I just kept thinking long term. And I remember Wayne saying, mate, the only thing you need to worry about right now is going to get your operation. That's the first step. So go and get your operation done. So that's literally where I put my mindset. I was like, right, disappointment over. It's time to get a plan, put a plan in place to get me back in 12 months time. But that's 12 months, so what's the first step? Right, go and get your surgery. So literally, I took it day by day. First thing I did, went and got my surgery. The second thing was I knew I had a month of just doing absolutely nothing, just short, sharp physio. So then from getting the operation, I literally went, my next step was, right, you got a month of doing nothing, just doing your basic rehab. And that's how basically I put a plan in place to get back and play rugby league. Also, basically, cutting a long story short, I did 12 months of rehab. Um, and one of the things I've always really relied upon throughout my footy career was my work ethic. Um, and I've always had a really strong work ethic. And the reason why I've had a really strong work ethic is that any time I've ever struggled for form playing, I always had the confidence that if I was doing the work, my form would turn because I was doing the work. And in footy, sometimes you're up and down, even though you're working hard. 
But if you keep working hard, that always gave me confidence to know that my form would turn around at some stage. So I did my 12 months of rehab, uh, came back to um, play. When I came back to play, I realized I'd lost a lot of my speed. And speed was a massive part of my game and how I played rugby league. And in the first few weeks, I literally realized that I'd, I'd lost a yard or two of speed. So I had to change the way I play, I had to adapt, and I had to then go and figure out a different style of the way I play. I pretty much had to reinvent myself because I just didn't have that speed anymore. So what I did is I became a real student of the game. Um, you do heaps of video analysis when you're playing, which when I, um, you know, before I got injured and I had the speed, wasn't real important to me. I used to do a little bit of it, but I never really took much notice of it because if I ever got myself in trouble on the field, I usually had the speed to get myself out of it, but I didn't have that anymore. So I became a real student of the game. I used to sit down and study the opposition. Um, I spent a lot of time um, studying guys like Jonathan Thurston and Matty Bowen, who I played with. Um, just little cues in their game, little things like I know when Jono got the ball, I could, I could just little cues in the way he, he'd grab the ball and he'd turn it in his hands, I knew he was gonna kick. So I could get him, you know, instead of having the speed to get there, I'd sort of get going a bit earlier. So I had to literally reinvent the way I played. And I did that through, I guess, doing almost homework on my opposition and on my, and my own players. Um, you know, if I was playing guys that were a lot faster than me, I always used to, you know, look the way they ran or which lines they ran so I could get myself in those positions a little bit earlier. But it was a huge, huge challenge for me. Um, and, and it took me a long time to understand that. Um, and it probably goes back to the point about the guys that have played long careers and, you know, why they, they continually want to improve. And I thought if I could take little bits and pieces of watching those guys and put that into practice for myself where I just want to continue to improve, um, you know, I'm going to be okay. And fortunate enough, I was lucky to get back in the, the Queensland side and the Australian side, which was a real big tick in the box for me because, um, you know, never in my wildest dreams when I sat in that dressing shed after a third reconstruction did I think I was ever going to be, um, going to be back in, you know, the Queensland Australian team. But again, I relied upon that work ethic, the want to continually improve. Um, and basically, it was just a good old-fashioned fight, like, for me, that's how I personally viewed it as a real test of my character and it was, was not something I wanted to fail at. I just didn't want to have any, any regrets. And with uh, the detail around my rehab, um, I was to the point where I was pedantic with it. Um, if the physio told me to do 100 squats, I'd do 100 squats. If they told me to walk around the park for 45 minutes, I'd do it for 45 minutes. Like I did everything possible in my power to come back and give myself the opportunity to play and be the player I wanted to be at the Cowboys. That was really, really important to me. And I thought I want to be able to, and I always knew that I was one injury away from, or one knee injury away from having to retire, which actually happened in 2014. I did my knee again for the fourth time and that finished my career. But I absolutely have no regrets because I did everything that I could control within my power to stop that from happening. And I always knew if it did happen again, I'd have no regrets. I could look back and go, you know what? That's fine. It was up to the football gods because I gave myself every opportunity. Um, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll just keep going and please pull me up. Um, been really fortunate enough to have some really, really wonderful coaches and a lot of people talk to me about, um, they always say, well, who's your favourite coach? And by country mile, 
um, and daylight second, Wayne Bennett is by far the greatest coach or man manager I've ever had. Technically, Wayne is not great at coaching. Um, he's a much better man manager than he is a coach. But one of Wayne's greatest attributes is Wayne knows where his weaknesses are and he gets people in and around him that can coach. And Wayne's never felt threatened by people that are great coaches or you know, a lot, lot better than him technically. Wayne understands that that's a, a, that he's not good at, but he gets people in and around him. Why is Wayne so good? Um, it's not. I honestly believe it's not rocket science. I think Wayne Bennett's the greatest coach is because he just gives people his time. Literally, just gives people his time. He gets to know you as a person. Gets to know you as as a bloke. Um, understands what's um, you know what makes you tick and he's just got this wonderful ability to to just give you time and get to know you and it, what, it creates a real respect um, and there's nothing I wouldn't have done for Wayne. I'll give you a little uh, something that happened really early on in my career and um, I, I left Redcliffe, I was playing at Redcliffe and I went to the Broncos um, when I was about 18, went to the club um, and started playing and I was going really, really ordinary for the first year or two um, to the point where the Broncos were going to basically cut my contract and just send me back to the local club. And I'll never ever forget I had a meeting with Wayne. Um, I'd never ever met Wayne before and it was all organised. So I walked in and I thought to myself, well, Wayne's going to talk to me all about rugby league, what I'm not doing right on the field, I'm not making this tackle or doing that. Anyway, I sat down and not once throughout probably a half an hour conversation with Wayne did we talk football. He never once mentioned, you know, rugby league. The first thing Wayne wanted to know was what was going on with my life outside of football. Um, and I sat down, I was really struggling with going to work. I'd just left school, I'd started work and I was really struggling with getting my head around having to go to work for a living. It was something that was, because I just wanted to be an NRL player and I wanted to do it now. Um, so I, I talked to him about that and he started asking me some real strange questions around, like, mate, what time do you go to bed at a certain time every night? What's your diet like? Do you do chores around the house for your mum? And I'm sitting there going, I literally was sitting there going, what the f like, what? what the hell is he going on about? And he basically made, the point he was trying to get to, to me, is he said, unless you put some structure, some discipline and routine around what you're doing at home, he said, you're never, ever going to be a good rugby league player. And he said, I want you to start putting, he basically said, mate, I want you to start going to bed at the same time every night. He said, I want you to, literally go to bed at a certain time every night and get up the same time every morning, start putting some routine around that. He said, do you help your mum with chores around the house? And I was like, no, like mum does everything. He goes, all right, well, I want you to start making your bed in the morning. I want you to do a load of washing up before you go to, you know, come to work. Because he said, when you get disciplined around doing that stuff at home, he said, when you come to football training, you're not going to miss a line because you're going to have the discipline to get there. He said, I'm telling you, it'll help. Um, I started to eat a lot better. He put a plan in place around my eating and my diet. Real little simple things like drinking water. He put me in touch with a dietitian who put some, um, some discipline around what I was eating. And I'm not the smartest guy by any means, but I was smart enough to take Wayne's advice. And I started putting some discipline and structure around what I was doing at home. And by the end of that year, I'd played three first grade games when I was 19. And the next year, that was the start of my career. And I never ever went back to reserve grade after that. But it wasn't until I had that conversation with Wayne and understood around discipline, routine and structure around what I was doing away from the footy field had a huge effect on what I was doing 
on the footy field. Um, and again, Wayne just getting to know me as a person and asking those questions. Um, there's not, there's, there wasn't a thing that I wouldn't have done for Wayne on the football field if he had to ask me. And, I, and again, people want to know why. And I, I, I honestly, in my opinion, I just believe that Wayne just gives people his time as a leader. And that's why he's such a great man and so well respected and took South again to another grand final. Because he just gives people his time, he gets to know them and he respects them. And another story about Wayne, I'll never forget um, James Roberts, um, pretty, pretty maligned player, um, got into a lot of trouble. Um, and he went to the Broncos, Wayne brought him to the Broncos. And I'll never forget the conversation Wayne had with James Roberts. He said, mate, I'm not interested in what you've done in the past, but all I'm interested in is what you do going forward. And James Roberts played another couple of really good years under Wayne. Um, he's fallen away again now, but I guess just the point is that that's what Wayne's like. That's the confidence and the, the ability for him to know the person and get the best out of them. Um, yeah, he's a wonderful man and a wonderful coach. Um, have you guys, I guess, got any questions? Thank you. Yep. I'll leave the way. Uh, so, Brent, um, these guys are all uh, leaders and commanders in their respective units. In the Army, we have an expression called uh, commander's intent. It's part of the way we uh, command missions. Um, Part of commander's intent is what's called uh, decisive events. So in civilian terms, it's uh, goal setting. I've got two questions, one personal, one uh, business. So the personal question is when you were a rookie uh, for Brisbane and you've alluded to it, um, what were your goals for your career? Yep. And the second question is uh, uh, <coughs> what are the goals and the steps that you have to go through to win a premiership like you did in 2006 and when you retired from North Queensland in 2014, you must have known that uh, the team was on the way to winning the premiership in 2015. Yep. Um, look, I, I, I've probably, I've never ever been a huge goal setting person. For, for me personally, I've just always you know, I, I guess when I say that now and I think back to my career, I always wanted to play State of Origin, I always wanted to play for Australia, so I always wanted to be the best. So I, I guess for me um, and how I used to get myself to achieve that was, again, going back to my work ethic and at the start in the pre-season, I always had a real understanding that, and again, another lesson from Wayne, just, just breaking it up into blocks and not looking so far ahead. So if I wanted to play for Queensland, well, the first step is I knew I had to have a really good pre-season. Pre-seasons where, um, you know, Premierships are won and lost, um, and you know, for me personally, to go and play Queensland and for Australia, I had to get that part right. So, you know, that work ethic and the training I used to do in the pre-season, I knew would set me up to to have a good season. You know, being able to play Origin and and for Australia, um, we had a really good team in, at the Broncos from when I started from 2002 to 2006, and we probably should have won the premiership. Um, a couple of more times, to be to be fair, because we had the team to do it. But I'll, I'll never forget in 2006, um, I guess the catalyst for us to go on and win the grand final. We, we were sort of middle of the ladder. Um, we had a couple of guys in the team that um, misbehaved um, probably about eight weeks out from the semifinals. And they were really good players. And I'll, I'll never ever forget Wayne basically drawing a line in the sand and saying that that, that behaviour was not going to be tolerated 
if you wanted to play for Brisbane. So he sacked those two guys, which, which was a real um, shock to all of us. Um, but basically it was a line in the sand to say, you know, these are the behaviours and these are the standards. If you want to wear the jersey, that's, that's where you'll live up to. And we had a really good senior playing group in 2006. We had Brad Thorne, um, Shane Webke, Darren Lockyer, Petro Sivnaseva, and they were really good leaders. Um, good leaders in the fact that they, they trained hard. They just did everything right. They wore the, the right gear. They set examples. They were always on time, training hard, setting the standards at training. And I remember those guys also drawing a bit of a line in the sand to say, right, if we're going to be successful, we need to make some sacrifices around the group. Um, and I'll never forget in 2006, um, we all sat around and we all made a sacrifice around um, the running of the semi-finals, something that we were going to give up that was going to benefit the team. Um, I remember Wayne doesn't drink. There's a lot of them gave up the piss, to be honest. Um, Wayne doesn't drink, but Wayne gave up chocolate for eight weeks. Wayne's a massive chocoholic, so he gave it up for eight weeks. So basically went around the room and we all said something that we were going to sacrifice for the next eight weeks for us to be successful. And um, again, that was a real, I guess, line in the sand for us to go on and, and be successful that year. Um, you know, we had a wonderful senior playing group that I said drew a line in the sand. Um, we, we were absolutely clear on the standards and the behaviours that we had to live up to if we wanted to play in that Broncos jersey. Um, and we went on and, and, and won the competition. But um, I've probably digressed a little bit there around goal setting. I guess, yeah, I've never been one that set huge goals, but um, I've just, all, again, always relied on my work ethic, try to control what I can control. Um, and if I've, I've done that, you know, more often than not, I'll, I'd be successful. Um, with the Cowboys in 2014, um, Neil Henry was coach. Um, Neil was a really, really good coach, but I, I even understood that I didn't think we were ever gonna be successful under Neil, we'll not go to the next level because there was a bit of a, um, I guess Neil didn't get on great, well, didn't relate to the younger guys coming through well. Um, and I knew for us to be successful, we needed that younger group, group to come through and, and help the senior player group because we had a great senior player group that would give the same effort every single week. It was that, that next group down, those younger guys that we needed to bring up. And I remember Paul Green coming into the fold, taking over in 2013 or 14 or whatever it was. Um, and Greeny basically took over at a really good time. He gave the group um, some real clarity around their roles. So there was no confusion around what our jobs were on the football field. Um, basically, if we lost a game, we could literally go back to the video and pinpoint exactly where we lost and who didn't do their job and where. So that's what Greeny did. He came in and just gave everyone a real simple, clear game plan and around each individual roles. And that's basically what those young guys were craving. Um, and then obviously they went on to win the grand final in 2015. But um, you know, it was great timing by Greeny, but also when he came... And the other thing that he did, he gave the group... I remember we sat down in a room, it was a bit like 2006 State of Origin. He gave the group um, the opportunity to come up with their trademarks. So, you know, their responsibilities and the standards and the behaviours that they wanted to be um, viewed by. Um, and I think that gave the responsibility back to the... Basically back to the younger guys to see if they did step out of line to go, hey, you guys are the ones that came up with the rules, not me. So you've got to, you know, you've got to cop the punishment. Um, so that's a big part of the reason I think they've had great success under Paul Green in 2015. Cool. Okay, I'll open up to the audience uh, 
Tar, some questions? Yep. Yeah, Brent, uh, thanks for your Hendrix. Uh, thanks for sharing with me. Pretty good. Um, I've experienced soldiers who have had multiple injuries uh, and setbacks through their progression of their uh, careers as well. Um, is there anything in particular that your, your leadership team or command group for us uh, really did to uh, motivate them to continue going? You spoke about how you have their, how they have their confidence in you from the outset, yep. but through that uh, time frame. Mate, I guess one of the, you know, if I look back at times throughout my injuries and it is really lonely. it's a lonely place when you're injured like a lot of the time you're doing it by yourself and I think you know just those constant check-ins from um, coaches and playing group goes a long way um, I think because you are isolated and you are away from the group a lot of the time I think you know even if it's just walking past you in the rehab group and just you know checking on how you're going just literally just checking in um, and just asking the question around how you're going um, and, con and doing it, I guess, consistently was, I guess, when I look back now and getting through it and, and having the ability to get through it, I think those little check-ins were, were really key. And again, it's, a lot of the stuff you talk about, it's, it's, not, it's not rocket science. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing out of the ordinary. It sometimes is just a check-in to see how you're going. And that, you know, that, I guess, included you in the group and made you feel a part of it. We in the army, in particular, like an infantry, our leadership group changes almost every year. Yeah, very rarely where it doesn't change. So, my question is for your playing career: How has working with different leadership groups enabled you to motivate maybe junior footballers, maybe when the times are getting tough and stuff like that? Yeah, I, I guess when I think about leadership and um, you know the the, the great leaders. Um, you know, I think one of the things you, you need to be obviously living and as a leader, you need to live and breathe the standards, I guess. Um, and when you're doing that, you know, by the younger crew, they're, they're obviously seeing what's going on as you're setting the standards. Um, I guess it's a bit of a tough one. I can only just speak from experience with, you know, some of the great captains I had. You know, Darren Lockyer was a really good captain. Um, his ability to keep calm under pressure when things were completely the wheels were coming off um, with something real key. And I can give you a, a really great example just quickly, and I'm sorry if I digress, but in 2006, um, we were playing the third and final deciding game in Melbourne against New South Wales. So we'd lost four, three series in a row. We were staring down the barrel of four straight series losses, um, which was unheard of. People saying Origin was dead. Um, it, was it was a disaster. So we we're down in Melbourne. Um, they put up a bomb. They score off a, a blatant knock on. They go 10 ahead with about, I don't know, six or five minutes to go. And the whole Queensland team completely, me included, was like walking back to the ref, calling him a fucking cheat. Like every, the wheels had completely fallen off. So we get behind the try line, everyone's completely lost their marbles, screaming and yelling. And, and I remember thinking, we're done. And I'll, I'll never ever forget the coolness and the calmness of our captain, Darren Lockyer, in that moment. I'll never ever forget. He basically got everyone in the huddle and goes, just, Everyone come, look at me, just calm down. And I'll never forget the calmness in his voice. He was like, there's still time. We will get this job done if we stick to the plan. And he, but, but, so we're all, so he got us all back and he goes, the only thing I want you to focus on right now is our kickoff. We're gonna kick long and we're gonna defend this next set of six. And I remember the group sort of going, 
Righto, let's next set of six. But he had every right, and he, basically he was going to get cut. If we had lost the series, um, that whole senior playing group were never ever going to play for Queensland again. They'd been told by um, Mal Meninga, who was a coach, that if we lost the series, they'd never play Origin again. So there was so much riding on the line for him personally, so much riding on the line for Queensland, but his ability to keep calm, keep collected, and just get the group to focus on the next job at hand. And we went on and scored two tries and won, won that game and won the series, and that kicked off the eight straight. But um, I guess that's just one example of, of great leadership. Cam Smith was a lot like Darren Lockyer, very cool, very calm under, under pressure. Um, and, and Jonathan Thurston had the great ability to be able to, um, you know, give a bloke a real kick up the ass. But then I'd always see JT walking off the training field, putting his arm around him, giving him a cuddle as well. And, um, you know, they're just some of the things, I guess, were real highlights of those great leaders. I hope that answers, it probably doesn't answer your question, bud, but I guess that's as easy as I can do it. Anyone else? Yep. Yes, so you spoke about uh, when you were literally asked you to come back and play for the Cowboys, how uh, you know, you excited to make sort of some cultural changes. What did you personally do to sort of uplift and, and make up the team at one very short tweet? Yep. Um, I guess when I came to the Cowboys, um, it, I, it was a mess. Like they didn't have good people at the club. Like there wasn't great. So they'd had a huge clean out. They got rid of 13 guys. So um, Peter Parr brought in myself, Dallas Johnson, um, Ashton Sims and Glenn Hall. And we were all really experienced. Um, and one of the things I think that we changed was, again, we lived and breathed the behaviours of the club. So. And when I talk about live and breathe those behaviours, I mean little things like literally being always on time, always having the correct gear on, like always having the correct right training gear on. Um, you know, our work ethic, we were, I guess, and I don't want to sound like I'm giving myself a rap, or, but, but we were pros at what we did. We trained hard, we worked hard, we'd do extras after training. Um, and that's how we change the culture by always being on time, always wearing the right kit. You know, when we trained, we trained hard and we did extras all the time. And when we were doing extras, we were always grabbing those young blokes in our positions and going, oi, come and help us here. And when someone did step out of line, us as a senior playing group were able to pull them in the line because we were living and breathing those behaviours and we were saying, well, you know, those standards aren't cowboy standards, so we're not going to put up with it. Um, so that's how I think we changed or helped change the culture for it to be really successful. Um, Again, not rocket science, but just little things that make little things add up to big things. I have no doubt, especially in rugby, rugby league and, you know, guys not turning up on time, wearing the wrong kit. They're, they're, again, it's just disi they're, they're disciplined things, but, you know, the little things turn into big things. You're not doing something right here. You don't do something right on the footy field. You're half a yard offside because you haven't got the discipline to get onside. So that's how we came and helped change the culture, I believe, um, just through our actions. So that change that, uh, that you're talking about and how you as senior players stepped up, is that something that you were empowered to do by your coaches or yep. was that something that you just came to naturally? No, it was 100% um, empowered. Um, I, I left the Broncos in 2008 to go to New Zealand Warriors because I was really craving a senior leadership role and I wasn't going to get that at Brisbane. So I went to New Zealand Warriors and Ivan Cleary was a coach. He's a coach of Panthers now. Never ever forget this. We were at training one day um, and 
we were, we were doing a drill anyway. The, these got the, we were doing a drill against the opposition anyway. The guys um, did a short dropout and it was a soft option. And I'll never forget, um, you know, I sort of walked past Ivan and just said to him, oh, that was a really soft option. And Ivan goes, well, I want you to say that to the group. And because I hadn't been a leader before and it was sort of new to me, I remember him saying, mate, that's basically what you got you here to do is now say it. And I remember, you know, bringing the group in and basically going, that's a shit option, that's soft, you know, back, let's back ourselves. And, and he just gave me the ability and the confidence to find my voice. Um, and then after that, I, I, yeah, I guess I just, I understood my role in the team and what it was to be a senior leader. Um, and he definitely gave me the, the voice and the confidence to be able to stand up and go, you know what, right, that's not right. This is the way we need to do it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, Brent. So, um, Arnie, as you probably know, is filled with commanders of all different ranks, high load, etc. Uh, so, a few blunders we have in the army is the ability to like, interpret the commands. So, like I said, the commanders of all ranks. Yeah. Um, we may not necessarily agree with the commander's decision at the time. So, question to you is. Have you ever disagreed with a, a captain's or a coach's decision as a junior? And how did you handle it? Vice versa, on the other flip side of that as well, as a leader, if you've had uh, a subordinate, so to speak, disagree with the decision, how did you handle that as well? Yep. Um, I guess I've always really respected my coaches and there's been a lot of times where I haven't agreed with how they wanted to play a game. Um, and I've been lucky enough to have coaches that um, I've been able to, I guess, have the confidence to go to and go, hey, I don't think that's right. Can we look at this? And, um, you know, more often than not, they'd take your feedback on. Um, and whether or not they'd go and make changes or not, that was fine. With, at the end of the day, I always had a real understanding of, if that's their decision, that's their decision. I'm happy to say, hey, you know, for me, it was always talking about it. If I talked about it, and said, this is my opinion, um, but they wanted to still go their way, I, I was okay with that. I, I could respect that, because at the end of the day, they were my leader, and I'm happy to, I think you're wrong, but you know what, that's the way we're going, so I'm on board. Um, I guess as a, on the opposite to that, um, having young guys come through and, and probably disagreeing, yeah, I, I just, I think as a senior player, our role was always to listen to the group, um, understand where they were trying to come from and take yourself out of it and, and, and have a real understanding of what they're going on about. But again, um, you know, at the end of the day, our decision was final. And I guess I've always been a part of really good cultures where um, happy to listen to feedback, but if you're not going to come along with the way we're going, well, then, you know, you'll, you'll find your way out pretty quick um, because we've been a part of strong cultures where, you know, you either come along for the ride or you just get left behind. Um, so, yeah, again, I, that's as simple as I could put it. There's, you know, I remember Wayne was always, always seeking feedback from his senior playing group, and that's the greatest thing about Wayne is that it was a lot of it was senior player driven. But at the end of the day, we understood if Wayne wanted to do something, we that was our job to go and do it, whether we liked it or we didn't. And there was times where we didn't, like those young guys that got sacked in 2006. Um, that was a big thing for the playing group because they were really popular good guys and we didn't want them sacked. But Wayne basically said, that's great, but this is the way we're going. And we had to, we had to go along with that ride. So, um, yeah, I guess that's, that's probably the only way I could 
sort of answer it in my terms away from playing. Oh, I've got, um, <coughs> I'll continue. So um, in the military, we, we train for war. In war, um, if you make the game-changing mistake, you don't get a second chance, uh, or you or your subordinates may not get a second chance. In training, however, um, we uh, have the opportunity to make mistakes. Can you uh, talk about how, when you make a game-changing mistake yourself, uh, how you come back from that and how you restore uh, the faith of the team within you? Yeah, um, I made plenty of game-changing mistakes, don't get me wrong. And it was something I really, really struggled with having, like when you make a, and make a big mistake, not letting it affect the rest of your game. Um, so for me, it was, if I made a big mistake, one, I'd try and make up for it. So if I dropped the ball, I'd try and make the next couple of tackles and really lift the intensity through your actions. So you, the, the next thing that you do. Um, and then that way also that had helped me quickly forget about the shit mistake that I just made. Um, so, so again, I guess it was just about putting things into action straight away having you know just just getting straight back into it and i think by you know lifting the intensity and making the next couple of tackles send a message to your team that you know what i, I have let you down but i'm trying to make up for it and i think that sent sent a real clear message to everyone else and it, and you know we always had a thing in you know when we're playing origin if you make mistake it's you know you want to make that set of six for your mate because you know he's feeling ordinary you know he's feeling crap so you just want to defend that set of six so you get the ball back and move on but I think, by, again, by your actions um, and lifting that intensity, um, send a real clear message to the group that, yep, I feel like shit, but I'm going to make, make it up. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I sort of think about it when I'm you know, playing footy. I will, I will say, look, footy was a real... Um, I had a real love-hate relationship with footy, and I remember I got to a point in um, my career where I was really, really struggling with um, feeling shit and not feeling like going and playing. And I'll never ever forget, Wayne introduced me to a sports psychologist by the name of Phil Jauncey. I remember sitting down with Phil and, he, and I used to say, mate, I'd, look, some days I'd sit on the bus going to a game and I'd honestly, I'd have this self-talk. I used to sit there and look out the window and go, I'd rather go and clean shit houses than go and put my body what I'm about to go and go through on a wet, cold night in Parramatta. Like I literally used to have those thoughts. And I remember sitting down with Phil and he said to me, mate, you can't control how you feel. You know, people say, oh, you know, have the positive thoughts. I could never, ever change the way I thought. Like if I was thinking sort of negative, I, I, I really struggled to get those thoughts out of my head. And he goes, that's fine. You can still have those thoughts. It's ac actually natural and normal to have them thoughts. He said, what do you do when you play well? And I said, oh, I, I kick chase really well. He goes, all right, I want you to write that down on a piece of paper. So I wrote kick chase. He said, because if I'm sitting in the stand, I can see that you're going to do that. So he said, what's the next action you do when you're playing well? I said, I get an early touch. Like if I go in and get an early touch and it's a good touch, I'm gonna to play well for the rest of the game. He goes, all right, write that down. He said, what's another thing that you do? And I said, well, when I'm playing well, like I'm talking a lot, you know, talking to the guys around me. Like he goes, all right, cool, write that down. So he said, if I'm sitting in the grandstand and I'm watching you, I can, I can see those three things that you do. 
So he said, they're all things that you have absolutely 100% control over. So he said, regardless of how shit you feel and how badly you don't feel like playing, if you run out in the field and get, get an early touch, start talking and make sure you kick chase, you're gonna play well. And I was like, yeah. So for the rest of my career, I would write those three things down before every single game. And before I'd run out, I'd go early touch, talk, kick chase. Because they were things that I could 100% control. And some before I'd run out, I'd be like, oh, fucking hell. Like I'm busted, body sore. But I used to go, right, the shitter I felt and the worse I didn't feel like it, the first thing I'd do when we cross the right line, I'd just start talking. Even if it was just shit talk, I'd just start talking because that's what just got me in the game. And that was such a big, like that happened really early on in my career. And I don't think without that advice, I would have had the career I had without um, having Phil's, Phil's advice. When you died, how did you adjust to that life? Playing for me for so long, and then yep. adjusting to sort of back to civilian life is a bit of an issue that we're dealing with yep. in the army now. Massive issue in rugby league, um, huge. Uh, they've spent a lot of money in trying to get players to transition. It's so much better than what it is now. Um, I'll never forget, I, when I retired, I did my knee for the fourth time. I remember asking some of the guys that just retired around retirement. And honestly, I got not one good story. It was horrible. In the end, I remember saying to my partner, I'm not gonna ask anymore because it's just shit house. You know, everyone would go, oh, mate, you're going to struggle. It's horrible. You're going to get depressed. And then I was thinking, holy, like, I was nervous enough as it was and still... Anyway, I did a transition program through the NRL and I've just got real, real clarity moments throughout my career and this is one of them. Um, I remember doing this program with this lady. Her name was Jana. And Jana said to me, Brent, how are you going to go with the retirement? And I said, oh, yeah, look, I'll be okay, but, you know, I'm going to struggle. And she goes why are you going to struggle? And I said, oh, just because everyone else does. And I remember she like whacked me in the chest. She goes, why are you going to struggle? And I said, oh, because everyone else does. And she goes, well, why don't you be, and I said, because I was talking to everyone else and that, you know, they're all struggling. She goes, well, why don't you be, you know, when people come to you, you be the positive light, you be the positive story for these guys. And all it was, all she challenged me on was just a little shift in my mindset because I did, I, was, I would have been okay, but I would have struggled. But she challenged my mindset to go, hey, you be the positive story for the guys to come to you when you transition. Um, and mate, I've loved retirement. I don't miss football one bit. But without her poking me in the chest and challenging me on that, I, I, I got a feeling I would have really, I would have struggled. Um, because that's what everyone else did. And that was a mindset I was in. So it was only a little shift and a little challenge, but made, the, made my whole career transition so much better. Yeah. And don't, sorry, don't get me wrong. I did some things when I first finished footy that I had to really swallow my ego too. Like, you know, I worked in the commercial apartment at the Cowboys and, you know, last year I was out playing on the football field. And then the next year here, I was dragging the signs out for the players you know, to play on with the signs. So, but that was okay. That was a learn. I put that down again as, you know what, suck this up. It's going to be good for you in the long run. Yep. Yeah, so um, similarly with Army, uh, there's a lot of similar injuries like ACLs and all that kind of stuff. And you've had some pretty nasty injuries yourself. Um, 
what can you suggest for soldiers that get a shift in mindset and get down and dumps about a long-term injury? Um, but as I said, mate, I've always been okay with, with accepting the sadness and the disappointment that comes along with it. That's, that's for me, it was always important to recognise that and understand that. And I always gave myself time to feel that disappointment. But I guess, you know, at some stage you, you do need to write, put a plan in place and shift your mindset into, okay, well, I need to get back. What's the first thing I need to do to go get back? And I guess it goes back to, you know, the, the, the advice Wayne gave me is not looking too far ahead. Basically, just concentrate on the first thing that you need to do is to get that job done. And then once you, you know, I think it's, you know, Joe up the back would know a lot more about this. When you, when you, when you break it up into little blocks and you achieve something, you sort of almost tick the box. It, it does something to you. It almost gives you like, yeah, right, okay, on to the next job. And, you know, a lot of times it is two steps forward, four steps back. But, um, you know, if you break it up into little blocks and you just give yourself a tick along the way, or whatever it is, it, it, it spurs you on to right, do the next job. So, um, yeah, that's, I guess, the advice I'd give to those guys with long-term injuries. And, and it is hard, mate. It, it is difficult. Um, and you've got to be mentally tough to get through injuries because they, they are hard. Um, and it's a lonely, dark place sometimes. But accepting those feelings, acknowledging them, but then putting a plan in, I guess just putting a plan in place and mapping that out so they can tick the box along the way. Do you find the transition to retirement, going back to your previous point, uh, made easier or harder than it's forced? So a lot of defence issues we had is when they were you know, goals get their discharged and they weren't ready to go. Yeah. Whereas I guess the professional cause was something like to you know, get out while on top. Others, it's probably easier when an injury actually causes them as well, so we don't have to make that decision. Yeah, mate, it's a good question and I guess I can't answer it from, you know, the only experience I got is mine was forced. Um, so I didn't really have an option. Um, and I've always been really big on not looking at what you don't have, but being thankful for what I got. And I always used to remind myself that, mate, I had 14 years playing NRL. Like, you know, I missed the 2015 premiership with the Cowboys. I should have played that year. Like I had another year on my contract, but I missed it. But I just, I just kept reminding myself that Mate, be thankful for what you had, not what you don't have, because we could you, you get lost in what you don't have and what you could have had. Mate, I was just really, really mindful. And the advice I always gave to guys retiring, like, mate, be thankful for what you had. You, you had a wonderful career, be thankful for that and, and, you know, move on. And I think the hard thing with guys transitioning, they're always chasing the higher rugby league. And I've always had a real understanding that I'm, I'm never ever going to experience what rugby league gave me, like running out in front of 50,000 people at Suncorp on Origin night. <laughs> There's nothing in the real world that's ever going to give me that. So I don't look for it because I know I ain't going to get it. So I don't, I don't go chasing that high. And I think you know, some of those guys that come out of footy have got to have an understanding that you just, unfortunately, you're not going to get those eyes because you just can't replace them. So don't look for them. Cool. I had a final question in the top of my head. Uh, okay, so in 2005, uh, <coughs> watching Origin, because Channel 9 commentary drives my wife and I up the wall, um, terrible. Uh, in 2005, it was way worse than the other night. Um, that's why we uh, uh, subscribed to Fox League, because uh, they're, they're great. Um, but. Um, so in 2005, 
we used to listen to Origin on Triple J and Roy and HG uh, used to, they had nicknames for uh, people oh and yours was No One Talks Tate. No One Talks Tate? Yeah, in case, in case you don't know. And I think it refers to you must have uh, stuffed up uh, in a game because uh, they used to go, No One Talks Tate. The question is, but uh, as humans and as leaders, we like to be popular. Um, and so uh, when that and in the newspapers, I'd imagine, uh, don't normally uh, uh, follow like popularism in the media, but how do you uh, uh, view being seen in a negative light and, uh, and what do you do? What's your self-talk? Uh, what's your uh, way of coping with uh, people who are trying to ride you down? Um, I remember a great piece of advice Wayne gave me. If you read, if you, you listen to the fans, you're going to be sitting with them. Um, so that was one of the lessons I got taught pretty early on as to, you know, if I was reading the papers and I didn't like what I was reading or, you know, people were saying stuff to me that I, I, I guess I just, it was pretty simple. I just stopped reading it um, and stopped listening to it. Um, it's obviously a lot harder with social media and that. It's not like what it is when I was playing, but, um, you know, I just remember Wayne saying that to me, if you, if you listen to the fans, you're going to be sitting with them. So um, I guess as a leader, uh, I always, and I remember having this conversation with Paul Green um, when he was at the back end of his coach, and I remember saying to Greeny, if you are making the best decision for the team and the club and you 100% believe that, um, and if it's the, you, you can go to bed at night and, and, and go to sleep knowing that you've made the right decision for the club in the, and if it, if, and if it's not, and it ends up being not the right decision, well, you, you, you can live with that. I reckon you can actually, you know, you can, you can live with it. But if you're making the right decision, that's better for the group and, and for the club or for you guys, for your team. If you genuinely believe it's a right decision, it mightn't be the most popular decision, but you know what, if it is wrong, it is wrong. But if you believe that it's not, you can actually go to bed at night and go, you know what, I've made the decision not based on myself, but what's best on the team. That's, that's when I reckon you can feel most comfortable. And if it's wrong, you can, you can live with that. Um, but I, I, again, I go back to the point with Wayne is that, you know, if you don't like reading something or hearing something, then turn it off or don't read it, pretty simply. Um, and I think that's why I love Wayne so much because he is pretty blunt. It is pretty black and white, but you know, I'll go back to the point of it being, you know, it's pretty simple at the end of the day. You know, rugby league's a pretty simple game. You got to, you know, the Panthers on the weekend had heaps of injuries, had all the excuses in the world not to win, but they, they found a way. You know, they just, they, they found a way to win. And it comes back to attitude and being able to control what you can control. You know, going out, kick chasing, talking, getting an early touch, you know, and just not wanting to let your teammate down. It's not rocket science, but the best teams that I've ever been a part of. It's always been about team first, check your ego at the door, um, work really hard, discipline and structure. And if you do those things, you're gonna give yourself a chance of being successful.